TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Pull up a rock by the campfire. It's time for that paleo show with your hosts, Sarah Stewart, Steve Hayter, and the man with no shoes, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Sarah Stewart. I'm Steve Hayter. And I'm Brett Hill. So today's show is for anyone that has ever avoided doing something because they think it's just a bit too hard or maybe too big to tackle. We often talk about the power of perception and the role our mind plays in what we can achieve. So we're aiming to really break that down today and look at the steps to success uh, and put them into chunk-sized pieces that we're all capable of achieving. Today's guest most of you actually know quite well. He is not only someone that Steve and I look up to as a source of inspiration and a personal mentor, but he's got great knowledge and he's really good at sharing it. He works hard and he plays hard. Welcome to the show, our very own barefooted caveman, Dr. Brett Hill. <laughs> hey guys, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to say my name at the start. I'm like, oh, am I like on the crew? Am I being interviewed? Like, which side of the microphone am I on today? <laughs> Maybe this is Brett number two. I don't know. <laughs> So, Brett, we're actually um, mixing it up a bit today because um, we've got a high standard of guests on the show, so it made sense to have you you along because we'd actually love to talk to you about your book, How to Eat an Elephant. So, cool. I was wondering if you could kick us off. Um, it's got, what did you say, 97 chapters or something. Can you break it, it down it a little bit for us? It does have 97 chapters, which always kind of scares people because they imagine it's going to be like a you know world book encyclopedia sort of thing. <laughs> but it's it's not that big, right? So it ha- does have 97 chapters. So basically, the way the book is formatted, it has a rather large introductory section. So it's just the introduction to really my whole philosophy around health predominantly, I guess around life generally, but mostly around health. And and talks about sort of the why and the how of the book and, and how, why I've set it out the way I've set it out and and why I think health should be done a certain way and, and talks all about health versus wellness and versus medical paradigms and a whole range of different topics. Uh, but then it kind of gets into the to the chunks and the, the nuts and bolts of the book, which is the 97 different chapters. And so it's really a whole bunch of different chapters on totally different topics. So there's some stuff in there on exercise, there's some stuff in there on mindset, there's some stuff in there on food. And the whole purpose of it is so that we can just chunk it down into smaller chunks and make it really easy and make it really achievable to make sustainable lifestyle change because that's really what it's all about. Brett, one of the things I love about um, the intro with the book, as you say, it's pretty extended. But This is one of the things I'm really passionate about being from a prevention point of view. You know, a lot of people can attest to, um, you know, grandparents, aunties, uncles that have become really well or, or par- uh, sorry, bec- become very unwell and have uh, passed away from, uh, you know, myriad of diseases uh, that we see that are most commonly affecting people in old age now. And, um, one of the things that you speak about is uh, common versus normal and relating specifically to health. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's really just the fact that what is common in our society is really quite poor health. So, you know, if you look at the stats around our health, we, we tend to think we're doing it pretty well because we're living longer. Um, but when you look at the stats, whilst we're living longer, we're actually having more years of morbidity, which means that we're having longer lives but not necessarily better quality of life. Um, and it's a really important distinction to make. You know, we, we're seeing chronic disease come on earlier and earlier. You know, the stats show in Australia about 77% of the population have got some sort of chronic long-term health condition. And, 
you know, when even when you look at kids, you know, 40% of 15-year-olds have got some sort of chronic disease. And you start to realize that, well, whilst we're living longer, we're not healthy. And so, you know, if you look at those stats and say, well, okay, if, you know, if almost four out of five people have got a chronic disease, then that's what's common. You know, and so if you want to be what's common, then it's probably going to be ill health and it's probably going to be chronic disease. Mm. And so we need to start thinking about that and thinking, well, do I really want to do what everyone else is doing? Or might it be a good idea for me perhaps to do something a little bit different and try and get a slightly different result? And so that's where the difference comes in because that's not normal. You know, chronic disease isn't normal. And, and obviously on that paleo show, we start talking about our paleolithic ancestors and, and people sometimes will say, oh, but they all died young. You know, how do we know? But what we do know is from looking at the studies is that the ones that didn't die young, and really they die young because of trauma predominantly, uh, and infant mortality was the other big you know, skewing mm. factor there. Um, the ones that aren't dying of trauma and infant mortality actually are living long, happy, healthy lives and, and relatively free from the chronic diseases we're seeing. So you know, certainly there weren't 40% of the hunter-gatherer population with some sort of chronic disease as we're seeing with our 15-year-olds now. Um, so even though yeah, we're not necessarily seeing huge numbers of those come together as living to those really ripe ages, what we are seeing is even the ones that are you know, relatively younger, they're still not getting those chronic diseases. So what it says is that that's not normal. right? Whilst it's common in our society, it's not normal. And when you talk about aging, it's the classic example. I mean, I see people coming into my practice all the time and they'll have knee problems, they'll have back problems, they'll have health problems in general. And they say, well, yeah, but that's to be expected. I'm getting older. You know, and, and rea- the reality is that it's not just because you're getting older, it's because you're functioning poorly over time that causes that problem. So we need to start really addressing what's normal aging and what's actually accelerated aging caused by an incongruent lifestyle. Absolutely. And I think it wasn't until I actually met you, Brett, that I started really thinking about um, chronic disease and how important it was. I think at one of your pre-care talks, you actually ask people, um, you know, what do you think is the the biggest cause of of time off work and injury and and death? And um, that really prompted me to, to think. And I love that you're so passionate about educating people about this because there are things that we can do. So you're looking at prevention uh, rather than cure, although you give some great advice for people, you know, what they can do as well if they are perhaps not um, in optimum health. I'd love to know what inspired you to actually, you know, go outside of the, the square and rather than just talk to your patients and other people at speaking engagements, why did you write a book? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, if you talk about what inspired me, I guess you've got, you kind of, there's two points to that. You know, the first bit is what inspires me general in health and wellness. Mm-hmm. I mean, what inspires me about health and wellness is it's all about my kids. You know, I've got two gorgeous little kids, Tom mm-hmm. and Charlotte, they're three and five. And I just look at it and I think, well, you know, what sort of world are they going to grow up in? You know, how healthy is the environment that they're going to grow up in going to be? Because I know that whilst I can have a pretty, pretty big influence on them and an influence on them in terms of health knowledge and education and, you know, trying to help them have an understanding that enables them to make the right decisions as they get older, I also know that I'm not going to be the only influence. You know, there's going to be lots and lots and lots of other influences on them as they grow up. And so I look at it and I think, well, you know, the healthier I can make this community around me, then the healthier the environment my kids are going to grow up in. And, and that's really my passion. I want to create a world of you know, people who are living long, happy, healthy lives where, where that's the norm rather than the exception and where being healthy and maintaining healthy lifestyles is the norm rather than the inception. So that's really my general, I guess, motivation. But specifically with the book, it was once I started really getting into health and wellness, I started going to lots of different seminars, hearing all this amazing information, particularly through chiropractic. 
And I was going to these seminars, and what always struck me every time I went to one of these seminars was there was this amazing bunch of people, often chiropractors, in a room listening to this incredible information, all nodding their heads, all getting it, all you know, making changes in their lifestyles. But you'd walk out the door at the end of the day, and you'd just walk straight out, and there'd be someone there smoking, there'd be the next person's eating McDonald's. Like, mm-hmm. just it, The information just wasn't getting from in those closed rooms out to the public. And that was really what spurred me to start doing media stuff, to write my book, to do the podcast, the works. Awesome. Brett, uh, one of the things that I really like that you talk about a lot in your talks and um, you spoke about this at the Wellness Summit as well, and I'm, I'm just interested, I mean, every, everybody I think on some degree does want to be healthy, some, some people more than others. Um, for those people who uh, come across the information, you know, come out of ignorance and into, into knowledge about what they can do uh, regarding uh, changing their health, why is it that you think when people hear this information, they get buzzed up, they're ready to go. Why do you think, what are some of the reasons that these changes don't stick? Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest reasons the changes don't stick, well, I would say that probably the number one reason is that we haven't figured out why we want to make the changes. Um, You know, Simon Sinek's book, if you haven't read it, is fantastic, which is Start With Why. And he talks all about why, you know, having a why, having a reason to do it is the first spot you need to start. And if you can really get in touch with what your reason for doing it is, you're going to be so much more likely to succeed. And, And I do talk about that in one of the chapters in the book as well. But, you know, it's really important that you understand that that founding why and it's and it's so different for everybody you know so you can't just borrow someone else's why you know this classic when you look at kids you know you can't talk to your kids about chronic disease prevention right because they just don't care they're little kids they're no concept of getting old they've got no concept of getting sick later on they just want to have fun right now so you know you need to talk to them in a way that they're going to get and they're going to understand and it might be like jumping high or running fast or you know whatever it happens to be but the same thing applies for adults. You know, figure out what it is that fires you up. Like I know for me, I love sport. I love playing cricket and I'm a bit obsessed with it. And so I know that if I look at, if I can manage to figure out how a healthy food or a healthy exercise or whatever it is, is going to help me play better cricket for longer, then I'm pretty much in. I'll pretty much do like whatever it is you want me to do. You know, similarly, if, you know, if you want me to, um, you know, if you can show me how it's going to help me inspire people to make healthy lifestyle change, then I'm pretty much in. You know, I've, I've jumped out of a plane a couple of weeks ago, and the, the, my main reason for doing it was because I figured that it was going to, if I could overcome my fears, then it'd help me help other people overcome their fears. You know, so I definitely think the why is a huge part of it. But beyond that, I think we just make it too hard for ourselves. You know, we we try and change everything at once. We try and pick the hardest things first. We try and you know, get up at 6 a.m., do it for, you know, an hour and a half. We, we don't make it reasonable. We don't mm. make it practical to fit into our lives. And we don't do it in a way that sets ourselves up for success. And uh, probably a follow-up question to that as well, and something I, I really love that you spoke, that you talk about often, is um, when you're talking about the book or you're talking about change, you know, you'll say to people, like, if you like the sound of what I'm talking about, like, go get my book. It, it's, it's really great for change and it will really help you with your, with your health journey. And you say, but what I want you to actually do is, is just flick through the book. Like, don't worry about going from start to, to finish. Have a look through the book. See what interests you and grab the topic that you think is the most approachable and the simplest for you to achieve right away, the very first step. Why, why do you say that, Brett? Why do you recommend that? 
Yeah, it's so funny actually because when I wrote the book, I never intended it to be read cover to cover. Yet, so many people I speak to say, "Yeah, I picked it up, I read it," and they all read it cover to cover. It's actually quite amusing to me because it, it's not intended to be read that way, <laughs> and it actually says in there not to read it that way. But that's okay. But you know, the the cool thing is people use it how they want to use it, and that's actually what the book's all about. So I'm okay with that. Um, but basically, the the point of that is what I want people to do is get away from the idea of thinking you have to choose the hardest thing first. Like you know, we all sort of we get a bit competitive or we get a bit, you know, we think that if we want to make significant change, then we need to do something really significant. That we have to pick the one thing that, you know, that's been weighing us down that we've always thought we should change, but we've always found it hard to change and, and go and try and change that thing. You know, but, but actually the reason that we haven't changed that thing is that that's the hardest thing for us to change. And so if, we, if we're trying to do that, we're really setting ourselves up for failure. And so what I really encourage people to do is I say, well, what if you picked the easiest thing? Like what if you pick the thing that you, can, that you know you can change, that you know is going to be good for you, that is the thing that you would most love to do, that's actually something you would enjoy. You know, like if you enjoy dancing, then, then set yourself up with a dance class and go do dancing. You know, if you, if you like exercising, if you like you know, drinking water or eating, whatever it is, you know, find the thing that you'd love to do, the thing that you reckon is actually going to be really easy, you know, make it a really small chunk. So, you know, don't say I'm going to drink three liters of water a day. You say I'm going to drink one extra glass of water a day. So chunk it right down. And the purpose of that is you're going to make it so small, you're going to make it so easy, you're going to make it so fun that you couldn't possibly fail. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because so many people, myself included, have failed so many times, you know, because we've tried to do too much. We've bitten off more than we can chew and we've tried to do a crash diet. We've tried to do a crash exercise regime. We've gotten about three weeks in and all of a sudden we've fallen off the wagon. We failed, right? Or, or, you know, I would say we've met a challenge, but, you know, they feel like they failed and they've gone back to where they started, possibly even worse than where they started, and they feel lousy. And they feel lousy for two reasons. One, because they'd started noticing some health benefits and all of a sudden they've unwound those and they're noticing the difference. And secondly, because they feel like they failed. They feel like they have actually haven't succeeded what they wanted to succeed. And so then the next time they make a change, it's harder. So the flip side of that is you pick something small, you pick something easy, you pick something so small and easy you couldn't possibly fail, and guess what? You succeed at it. The cool thing about that is not only have you made a change, not only do you notice positive changes because of that, but then the next time you go to make a change, it's going to be easier. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I know that we've spoken about the why uh, as well as the the this perception and, and the mindset around that. I just really want to highlight to people the connection between the why and then the actual carrying out or execution. You know, you've got someone uh, like myself, for example, that can at times be a little bit all or nothing. But if you then look back, observe and start, take a step outside of yourself and you, you examine first of all the why, it gives you permi- permission to um, you know, go, go easy on yourself and make smart decisions that are going to set you up for success, like you said, rather than failure. And at the end of the day, that's what we all want, success so we can be healthier. Um, well, partic- particularly if you start looking at your why over a longer time frame. Because so often we're sort of saying, well, I want to get fit for summer. You know, I want to get in my bikini at summer or I want to, you know, I've got a wedding in a couple of weeks I want to get fit for or whatever it is. You know, we, we set these short-term challenges. But if, if your why is actually I want to be healthier in five years' time than I am now or I want to be healthier in 10 years' time than I am now or I want to be able to pick up my grandkids when I'm 75, 
then it completely changes the perspective on the timing around that and the urgency around that. And you say that actually what's far more important than making a big change is making a sustainable change because it's the, it's the little sustainable changes that build up over time that's going to get you to where you want to be in 5, 10 or 20 years' time, not the, not the big changes that you can't make stick. Yeah, absolutely. I think is what do they say? Success is like um, small, consistent, positive changes. Yeah. Um, and that's so true and I feel that that's what you're really advocating in your book. And something else that I love about it because for me, one of my biggest values and assets is time. So when someone messes with my time or acquires heaps of it, I get frustrated. But your book is um, structured in such a way that you know there's a really a minimal time requirement for some of the suggestions that you offer. And I wonder, Brett, if you could perhaps give us your top three um, uh, examples for things that people – because I know you like to lay down a challenge and you do that a little bit in your book. <laughs> um, if you could perhaps share some of those with us, your top three maybe. Yeah, sure. Well, I think probably one of my favorite ones is the one I've already mentioned, which is drink an extra glass of water, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll you read the chapter about water. The challenge at the end will say drink an extra glass of water each day for the next 21 days. And it's such a simple challenge, but it's one of my favorites. And there's a few reasons for that. One is that drinking water is just so important. You know, your body is 80% water. It's so important for just about every function in your body. Um, my second reason I love the drinking water one is it's like the perfect comeback for someone who says, but I can't afford to make changes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because it's like whatever else you're drinking is more expensive than water. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, so there's literally like no excuse for doing this one. You know, water really doesn't cost a lot. I know you can spend a whole bunch of money on expensive tap water filters and all those sort of things. But do you know what? Even if you're drinking tap water, it's better than not drinking water and it's better than drinking whatever else you're drinking, right? So... <laughs> So I definitely love the drink water one. That's one of my absolute favorites. Um, the other one that I really love is um, in, adding some intensity to your exercise. So, so it's just like whatever it is that you're doing, just try and add a little bit of intensity to it uh, because I do find that regardless of what you're doing, adding that little bit of intensity can help you get better results faster. It can get you better metabolic effects in terms of the exercise you're doing. And the cool thing about that is it usually means you're shortening the duration of your exercise as well. So it is actually for those time poor people saving you some time, which is fantastic. Um, And then if I look at the mindset stuff, probably my favorite one in terms of the mindset stuff, the simplest one you can do is just gratitude. You know, the, the power of just being grateful for something in your daily life is immensely powerful. And you know, I'm one of those people that I used to look at things like gratitude, I used to look at affirmations and proclamations and, and all those different things. And to be honest, I was a bit skeptical. Like I, I was a bit of a blokey bloke, like I like my footy and my cricket and I'd sort of look at that and think, really? Like is that really going to make a difference? Because I just don't see how. And, but it was actually once I started getting into chiropractic, once I started learning neurology and I started learning how the brain functions and learning about neuroplasticity, about how the, the nerves we fire tend to wire differently. Um, I really understood how it works and that if we're firing those positive thought pathways in the brain, we can actually rewire them and make them more sensitive but also make the stimulus that's created by that bigger and actually almost create an addiction to the stimulation of those and and create that positivity, almost an addiction to positivity. And conversely, if we're constantly firing the negative thought pathways, then we do the exact opposite. And so once I understood the neurology behind it, I started thinking, hey, this makes sense. And, and I realized that one of the easiest ways to think a positive thought is just to be grateful for something. And it doesn't have to be anything big. It's like I woke up this morning, you know, the sun is shining, you know, I've got a, I've got a roof over my head, you know, just the simplest things you can be grateful for. And it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter how big or how small it is. It's still firing those positive thought pathways in your brain. So, so a really simple challenge is just every day, just write down three things you're grateful for. Do that for 21 days. 
and and see how you feel. And I reckon you'll notice a cool change. Yeah, I can um, tes- um, definitely testify to that. And, um, you know, it works whenever you do it during the day, whatever works for you. I love doing it just before bed because um, sleeping for me previously has been a bit of an issue. But you do it just before bed and yet you feel really happy, you feel relaxed, you feel calm. And you just drift off to sleep in such a great state. And I'm sure it um, kickstarts the healing process overnight as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, over time, as I've sort of started eating my elephant, I've added to that. So, so now what I do, and, and once again, I encourage people to start one bite at a time. But if you're already doing the gratitude, then there's some other things you can add into that. So what I do now is I write down three things that I'm grateful for. I write down three things that I'd like to praise myself for. So Because so often we, we're sort of waiting for that external validation. And so I really enjoy that. And I write down three things that I love about myself. Um, and I tell you what, if you told me to write down those nine things like 10, 15 years ago, I would have just laughed at you and gone, oh, come on. Like that's so not me. Um, but I actually do do it. I do it on a regular basis and I really enjoy it and I get a lot out of it. I love the mindset stuff, Brett, as you know. And um, one of the uh, – I'd love for you to touch a little bit more. One of the things that um, that Sarah and I picked up from you is uh, talking about, and you mentioned it before, proclamation statements. And you talk about in the book as well, uh, setting your statement of purpose and and understanding your why. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what, what proclamation statements are and how you use them. Well, it's just setting an intention really, I guess. I think, you know, it's kind of like, you know when you get a new, a new or you're looking at getting a new car, and you sort of start driving along and all of a sudden all you see is this one car, right? Like you just keep seeing it absolutely everywhere, right? And so the way I look at that is I kind of think, well, all you're doing is you're tuning your brain to look out for something, okay? And so I find that that's what happens when I, set, when I sort of set a vision or I set a proclamation. I say, look, this is what I'm going to do and I just put it out there. Um, and, and so, so often I'll just put, I mean, this happened when I started my book. I was like, okay, I need a book agent. So I just started going around telling everyone, like, I'm looking for a book agent. There's going to be this amazing book agent. They're going to help me get this book published. We're going to go from there. And so you just put the intention out there. And sure enough, you keep putting that intention out there. And what it does is it sparks your mind to look for opportunities and look for when those opportunities are going to come along. And sure enough, as soon as that opportunity comes along, you're tuned in for it, you're ready to go, and you'll spot it and you'll take it and go with it. So it's, I guess it's a combination of it. It's setting the positive thought pathways by creating that intention, but it's also setting yourself up to be finely tuned to seek out the things that you really want that really actually matter to you, you know, focusing, I guess, perhaps more on the important things rather than the urgent things. And uh, we know, we know uh, Brett, from uh, having a chat with you in the past, that uh, sitting down cross-legged, um, re- going into your nirvana state is, is not uh, your desired way for stress relief. Uh, I, I am proud to say, though, that uh, I managed to get you to do that at cave camp, um, to sit down <laughs> and go through. Um, I was so good. I sat so still. You did so good. You did so good. And... Um, I was hoping if you could tell us a little bit more about some stress management techniques that you suggest in the book um, that people can do uh, in an active fashion. Well, do you know what I reckon is I always talk about me time, right? And so I think that what's really important in terms of stress management is some me time. And so that looks differently for everybody. But what I say to people is, look, figure out one healthy activity that you love that makes you feel less stressed. 
Because really, that's all that matters in the end is whether it makes you feel stressed or whether it makes you feel less stressed. So I think people, you just need to find what works for you. You know, I find if I go out for a run, particularly if I go out for a run in nature, that really helps me feel less stressed. Naked. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Why not? But but I find that going out for a run really helps me de-stress. You know, I find that going fishing helps me de-stress. You know, so. Other people, they like doing meditation or they might like doing yoga or they might like, you know, whatever it is that makes you feel happy, that makes you feel less stressed, figure out what that thing is. And and do you know what I find most of the time? Everyone knows what that thing is. I ask people this all the time. I go, what do you do? What do you like doing that makes you feel less stressed? And they tell me and I go, well, when are you doing it next? Like, what have you, when are you, when have you scheduled in to do that? And so what you've then got to do is just schedule it into your life, like make it a priority, make time for it to give yourself that permission to have that time to de-stress because it's really important. You mentioned um, some key words there, Brett, and I want to expand on it a little bit more. Um, giving yourself permission. That's, a, that's, a, um, that's a, a really baited one, I think, because people giving themselves permission is, is, a, is a tricky thing. How, how do you, I don't know, what, how does the conversation go with people that you come across that find that they're not giving themselves permission to actually yeah. do those things necessary to help with their self-care? Well, I think probably the biggest group of people who do this uh, are probably mums. And, you know, we all love our mums. and our, But our mums, they, they do, they put everyone else first. You know, they, they're so busy looking after everyone else that they forget to look after themselves. And, mm. and I see this time and time again in practice. And I guess the, the key understanding that you need to sort of get through then is, well, once again, focus on the why. It's like, okay, well, why are you doing this? Why do you put everyone else first? And it's because they love their family. They want to look after their family. They want their family to grow up, you know, happy and healthy and, and all those sort of things. And, and then it's about helping them understand that the best way for them to help out their family Number one is for them to look after themselves because if they're not healthy, if they're not functioning well, then you can't achieve all those other things you want to achieve. So I think for people, regardless of whether it's a mum, whether it's a business person, whether it's a sports person, whatever it is, you need to understand that, that the core ingredient you need to do whatever it is that you want to achieve is your health. You know, if, if you're not on the planet, then you're going to find it really hard to achieve the goals you're trying to achieve. And, and to a lesser degree, if you're not healthy – then you're not going to be able to achieve it to the same level that you would be able to achieve it if you if you actually prioritized, took the time to look after yourself and got your health really buzzing and on track. You've been quoted as saying, Brett, exercise is a fundamental requirement for your body to function properly. Um, for those people who perhaps have uh, an aesthetic with their body that they're happy with, that think, you know what, I've got my diet in check, no worries, I don't really need to do any any exercise, what advice do you have for those people? Well, I think it's just about making time, isn't it? I mean, in terms of exercise, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to take long. You know, I mean, at the moment, I've been doing a bit of a challenge. I've been doing a push-up challenge. And my push-up challenge lasts for, you know, maybe a, maybe a minute. You know, I'm doing 50 push-ups a day. So actually, maybe a couple of minutes. I haven't actually timed it. I'm not sure how long it takes. But it doesn't need to be a huge, long investment of time. It's, it's just about doing it in a way that makes it easy for yourself. But I guess that, you know, the, the quote you mentioned, the key point is that it is fundamental. You know, we tend to think of movement in our modern society as being this optional extra, mm. you know, but we're now talking about, we're now seeing a society where we're showing statistics showing that actually sitting in our society is a bigger problem than smoking, you know, and that's crazy, crazy. right? That sitting is having a bigger adverse effect. You know, we've seen studies that show your average office worker sits for 16 hours a day. 
And when we look from a paleo perspective, we understand that, you know, I always say, you know, sit for 16 hours a day, they're sleeping for six hours and 47 minutes, which leaves 73 minutes in the entire day that they're not either sitting down or sleeping. And I always say, well, they'd be a pretty hungry hunter-gatherer. You know, if, if they're only moving for 73 minutes in the entire day, then, then they're going to be struggling. You know, it's not what our bodies are designed to do. Our bodies are designed to be up and about and moving. We know that that movement is vitally important in terms of the way it stimulates our nervous system, in terms of the way it switches off the stress response in our brain, which is really closely linked in with pretty much all of the chronic inflammatory, you know, chronic diseases we're seeing in our modern society. So that movement, you know, it's not an optional extra. It's not something you might be able to do if you want to be that little bit extra healthy or if you want to be really good. It's something you absolutely require if you want to be healthy and functioning at your best. Yeah. Good answer. I love that. That's awesome because nice. movement is so much more than just uh, doing it for the aesthetic. Again, that, that comes back to the why, doesn't it? Um, absolutely. But there is so much for people to, to gain from reading your book or leaping through it. I'm interested to know, what did you learn writing your book? Oh, I learned so much writing my book because because I had to really delve in and research each of these chapters. So as I was going along, that, that was probably the best bit about the book for me is that every week I was sitting down and writing a different chapter and going, okay, I need to make sure. Like I've kind of, you know, I think for each of the chapters, I really, I had a fair idea where I stood on each of the chapters. You know, like I was, I, I had a pretty decent idea of what I thought about each of them from stuff I'd sort of previously read and looked at. But Actually delving into and really researching each of the chapters was fantastic for me because it was like it was like forced continuing education. <laughs> you know, I actually sat down and I really nutted in and really figured out, well, why do I think that? What what's the evidence say? What's the science say? What does that make sense? You know, wh- where is perhaps the evidence been skewed and where does it where does that not fit together? And so, you know, I learned heaps of stuff as I went through. I'm just trying to think of, you know, some of the big ones that I can remember. I can remember learning a lot of stuff about plastics. As I went through and started learning about plastics and, and in fact, also non-stick cookware, when I started looking into the cookware and the containers, that was actually a bit of an eye-opener for me. Like I, I kind of had an idea that they weren't necessarily great, but it wasn't until I really delved into it that I realized just how much of an impact it could have, particularly the estrogenic effect of the plastics. That was a pretty big one. Um, I can remember you know, really delving into, probably early on, I was really delving into the fitness stuff. And so I did a lot of research reading through stuff like, for instance, the CrossFit journal and really I delved away into that and sort of understood the science behind why they do things the way they do it and I found that to be really useful. Um, Probably the barefoot running was something that came about as I was going through the process of writing my book. Um, So that was another thing that I sort of had played around with. I'd sort of worn some barefoot shoes. I'd done some barefoot training but I I didn't really get sort of full on into my barefoot stuff until I started doing the research for the book. So, but look, I could probably just about go through every single of those 97 <laughs> chapters and, and tell you that I learned stuff as I was going through the process. Well, what's really cool is that you've taken the time to share it with us and you've covered um, mindset, food and nutrition, um, as well as movement. And I'm really excited to get to watch you in action again at Cave Camp, um, I guess bringing theory into practice. And um, I'm wondering, what can our campers or people that will be joining us in Queensland this October um, expect to experience? Well, I mean, they can experience it all in action, I guess, is the cool thing. And it's it's kind of, I guess, it's seeing it in action and, and probably even more so experiencing in action, like actually doing it in action yeah. that really will ingrain into your body and your brain 
just what a difference it can make and and probably even more so how easy it can make like that we don't have to make it so hard on ourselves and so you know I know from experience from doing the barefoot running workshop for instance at cave camp that there were several people who went away from that going oh okay running isn't as hard as I thought it yeah. was it's just that I was actually doing it wrong and, and now that I'm doing it right it's actually a whole bunch easier. And actually, when I thought I hated running, now I actually don't mind running, you know. And uh, and we did the I did the barefoot running workshop at the, at the Wellness Summit just recently and had the exact same feedback. You know, people who were like, I mean, one of the people in particular comes and said, look, I'm just not a runner. I just don't like running. You know, should I still come? And I'm like, that's exactly why you should come <laughs> because you don't like, you don't dislike running. You just dislike running badly because running badly isn't much fun. But when you start <laughs> doing it right, then it gets easier. So, I think what people are going to learn at Cave Camp is that it doesn't have to be that hard, that it can actually be easily implemented into your life, that it's not as complicated as we make it out to be. And I think once you, once you get shown how to do it, you experience how to do it for yourself, then you realize, hey, I can do this. And it makes it easy to take it away and, and not just have that, you know, I think Lawrence calls it the cupcake experience. You know, it's not just the enjoyable Cave Camp. The key to it is that you've then got a framework you can carry with you literally for the rest of your life. Um, to, to take with you the stuff you learned at Cave Camp, but also a framework to learn even more stuff going forward from there that you can continue to build on and build on your journey. That's awesome. I love that cupcake analogy. <laughs> it always makes me <laughs> it's so paleo. because I'm immature yeah. as well. But... <laughs> and the other thing that I love about, I mean, obviously, um, you know, the three of us aim to, to set out. We say it every week, you know, we want the paleo lifestyle to be easy and accessible for everyone. And, and that's the same for, you know, what we're aiming to achieve with our cave camps. We we want people in, in all walks of life, regardless of where they're at in their paleo journey, um, to, to come and share with others, to learn, to experience and to grow. And, um, the, you know, being with like-minded people is such a powerful and I think sometimes underrated thing. So we'd love to extend to you all and invite to come and join um, all of us and the Merrymaker Sisters across three days for an absolutely epic experience. And, um, yeah, we guarantee it will definitely turbocharge your paleo journey. So if you head over to thatpaleoshow.com forward slash cave hyphen camp um, and sign up to secure your place because we're limiting it to 30 only. And the other thing I'd love you to all go and do is to grab a copy of Brett's book. And, Brett, where's the best place for people to find that? Well, they'll obviously be able to find a link to it on the That Paleo Show page. <laughs> we hope so. Right. Page, so you can definitely go there and find it. But obviously at my website, which is howtoeatanelephant.com, or if that one's a bit long and hard to get to, just go to drbretthill.com and you'll find a link through to my book there. Excellent. We'll share a link on the on the Facebook and the and the Instagrams as well. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, thank you so much, um, Brett, for sharing with us about how to eat an elephant. It's something that we're genuinely enthused and excited about, um, as we're all of the people at the Wellness Summit heading over to get their copies. So until next week, head over to our website, thatpaleoshow.com, to tell us what you think. See you at Cave Camp Queensland, and make sure you check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Share your story and help to grow the paleo tribe worldwide. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Boston Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.